Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. All right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. What a different Sunday this week than last week. Holy smokes. We were icing the steps. And uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even have a jacket this week. So great. Winter in Middle Tennessee is wonderful. Uh, hey, real quick before we dive into everything, um, we have these in the front of our uh, pews. It's a great way that we can uh, get some prayer. Uh, we've, been, we've been really with the new prayer ministry and all of that sort of stuff. So if throughout this, if you feel like um, there is something that we can be praying for you about, go ahead and fill that out on here. And, uh, and you can leave it out back. We'll have someone there to collect those at the end of the service. But um, we've really been uh, taking your prayer requests seriously, and we're praying for uh, a lot of miracles. It's going to be fun, fun to see. Well, we are in uh, the, mi- the middle of a series here, and we're on the middle of a series called The Blessed Life, and it is from uh, a book with the same name uh, by a pastor named Robert Morris. We have some of those uh, out back there if you, if you want to purchase some so you can follow along. He, he's a much better preacher than I am and a better writer. And so a lot of the stuff uh, that I'm saying potentially poorly, he says very eloquently. And, uh, and so uh, you can grab a copy of this. It's $14. That's what we paid for it. And um, if you can't afford it, want to read it, let us know. We'll give you one. Um, but you can grab a copy of this on your way out or you can order it from Amazon. Um, but it is, uh, it's an amazing book, and, and so amazing, we're, we're doing a whole series on uh, the principles outlined in this book that he's taken straight from Scripture, on, on giving, on how to live a life that God has intended for us. And so, this is part three of the series, there's uh, a couple more to come afterwards, and each one sort of builds off the last, and so uh, I, I would encourage you if, you, if you've missed uh, one or two, part one or two, um, go ahead and, and get those podcasts because we're sort of building off of each, um, each time and, and, and I want it to sort of flow for you. So we have those on, on your podcast, on the website, uh, whatever it is, and they're titled there, Blessed Life Series. Encourage you to do that. Uh, this, this week we're talking about something that uh, is, uh, it, takes, it takes a little bit of, of thought to get into. Um, it's interesting. I, I began to read this book, The Blessed Life, and, and I was... Um, uh, new to it, and there are some some principles, some concepts in here that I, um, I it just kind of blew me away, and I thought, man, that's really neat, you know. And so then I actually got another book that my dad referred to me somehow. I don't know how he found it, but it, it's from uh, another guy, and this is called Dethroning Mammon. Now this book was written, the Blessed Life series was written by a, uh, a mega church pastor in Dallas, Texas. This book was written by the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, around the same time as a Lytton devotion. And uh, a lot of the, the words, the phrasings, the scriptures, the themes are verbatim. And, uh, and it just shocked me. And a lot of times when, when I see that, uh, the messages are coming from a lot of different angles. It's, it's as though God is really wanting to say something to the church. And so uh, it made me perk up a bit to try and figure out what is this thing that the Lord is doing? What is, what is he trying to say to his church? And so this, this message, I think, 
is the, is the crux of the series. This is the most important message in the series because it's, it's crucial to everything we've talked about prior and, and going forward. And I believe that the principles that, that we're going to talk about in this, in this talk are really going to work to set a new course for our lives, a new course as we move forward uh, individually and corporately. I think it's going to be potentially life-changing. And I'll warn you, at the end of this today, you're going to know too much, which means you're going to have to make a decision. So if you don't want to deal with that, you can, you can hit the door, grab some coffee. I get it. But don't say I didn't warn you. So we're, we're going to jump in today. And, and the title of this talk is Dethroning Mammon, the Spirit of Mammon. And we're talking about Mammon, we're talking about all of these sort of things that are going on, and so I, I want to preface this a bit. Last week we talked about the principle of the first. We got in the weeds a little bit on some scripture, and, and we went really detailed through the biblical principles of the principle of the first in regards to the first fruits, firstborn, our first income, uh, our tithe. And we said that the application is really going to come in, in this talk today. And, and before we get too far into it, I, I want to sort of set the, the theme. We understand that biblically there are two kingdoms at play. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. Within those two kingdoms, there are two different systems, two different principles, two sets of values. And so when we're going through this, we have to go through this with the lens and the framework that, that there are two systems actively going on. And both are demanding our worship. And as human beings, there's no such thing as a neutral posture. We're, we're designed and created to worship. And so even passively, you will worship. And it depends on what you worship. depends on how things go for you. But understand that, that your passive stance, you're just, is you're going to worship. You're going to worship your job, your career. Uh, finances, safety, security, country, family, whatever it is that's grasped your attention that holds first priority in your life, you will devote your life to it as worship. And so as we're going into this talk, we understand the framework of that. And Jesus outlines this for us very plainly in John 10.10, and we have it up here. There's, there's two sets, and he tells us the two sets. He says that the thief... The thief rules over the kingdom of darkness. The thief comes not, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. And I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. You may have it to the full, a full life, a blessed life. Jesus is stating you have two roads. One leads to destruction. One leads to life. And what we have to do is, is understand the different ways that the two kingdoms work. And that's what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to pray, and we're going to get into this. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your clear, written, infallible word that we can look to to help guide us through our lives. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that directs us, that calls us, that convicts us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. Would you take control? Jesus, this is your church. Would you be glorified? 
Would you open our ears and our minds and our eyes to receive from you? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the kingdom of, wor- uh, of, of darkness uses the, the things of this world to meet its ends. Okay? The kingdom of God, likewise, uses the things of this world to meet its ends. And so we're talking, true, about money and finances. And we're talking about that in light of this truth. Now, we, we've said before that this isn't a series because we, we need your money. We don't. This isn't a series because we even want your money. We don't. This is a series because God demands our hearts. And he knows that our hearts and our money are tied very closely together because he created our hearts. Because with money, we can find security, identity, acceptance, the things that that is really promised to us from God. And so he knows if he can get your money, he can get your heart. Which is why we're talking through this because I don't care about your money. I care about your heart. And this is the, this is the, the basis for this series. And so Jesus is saying that there are two roads, two paths. And we're going to look at our key verse. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 24. You can go there now. You, you have two choices, and in light of those two choices, we listen to the words of Jesus. And he says this. He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we understand that, that Jesus is fully God, which means that he has a pretty good command on language. In fact, in the beginning was what? The Word. So he, is, he doesn't just have a command on language. He is the embodiment. He is the Word made flesh. So when he says things, we, we have to understand that he says things with an intentionality that we can't even imagine. And so we have to look at the words used here. Now, some of your translations are going to say money, and that's not the word used. The word used is mammon. Now, we've come to understand mammon, and we translate that as money, but mammon does not mean money. Mammon is, is an Aramaic word. It's, it's a word borrowed from the Syrians. The Syrians. And, and the word was a god, the god of mammon. And the god of mammon was borrowed from their neighbors, the Assyrian neighbors, the Greeks and the Babylonians, Plutus and, and other gods that they, they, they gathered in and they said, our god mammon controls wealth. That's the God of wealth and finances and riches. Jesus talks about money a lot in the Gospels. He doesn't use the word mammon when he, when he refers to that. So he's specifically bringing to light a point when he, when he says mammon. And his followers in the context, we have to put ourselves and read this in the context of when it was written, they understood that there was a God named mammon who controlled riches. And so when he's saying that you can't serve God and mammon, he's not saying you can't serve God and money. He's literally saying you cannot serve God or the false god mammon. Because people would, would worship mammon. And as we think about idol worship in our context, in a modern Western context, it seems kind of cutesy and folksy. 
and we think about Hercules and, and fun stuff. And, and in reality, though, you have to understand this was an extremely demonic practice, that these people would erect these idols and these temples, and, and, and they would sometimes make, make sacrifices, and, and sometimes animal or human sacrifices to these other gods, these false gods, these demons, that were meant to steal their worship from the only thing that's deserving of worship, and that's the true God. And so it's a very real thing that Jesus is, is saying here. He's, he's taking the two and he's juxtaposing them against each other, and he says there's no, there's no middle ground here. And he's telling us that we, we can only serve God or mammon. Now, if, if, if there is two kingdoms, and there is, and if there are two rulers at play, and there are two, two systems and two forces, then we have to understand that mammon isn't just a god. Mammon is a spirit that has taken people captive in this context, and I believe in our context. And he, is, he has taken their hearts to lead them astray, and they've began to trust in him. And what does he provide? He provides wealth. He provides security. And he whispers and he lies to you that your help comes from your resources, your ability to generate, produce, obtain, maintain wealth. And if you don't think it's a spirit, it is a spirit. If you don't think it is a spirit, then ask yourself, have you ever had the thought when you're facing a very large problem that you either need God to come through in a miraculous way or you need to somehow come into a bunch of money. One of the two will solve your problems. And if the money happens through the lottery or an unknown relative that dies and leaves you an inheritance or a giant bonus that you don't know about, if that money comes in, then you don't need God to intervene miraculously because the God of mammon has helped. And if that thought has ever crossed your brain, and it has, it's crossed mine, it's crossed everybody's brain, you begin to understand that mammon is more than just a colloquial term that Jesus was using off the cuff. Mammon is a spirit that is working to rob you, to lead you to destruction, to steal, kill, and destroy. And in, in the economy system, in the economic system that mammon controls, that's the ends, death theft, destruction. And we have to understand mammon's economy so that we can understand God's economy. And we can begin to understand that there is a way that, that our, our, um, our money, our resources, our time can be used to lead us towards life. And, and more than just life, life full of blessings. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take the two kingdoms and we're going to expose the lies of mammon and then see how they're diametrically opposed to scriptures that talk about how God intended for us to live. He intended for us to spend our time and our money. So we're going to see lie number one that mammon tells you. And this, and this is a lie that he speaks to you. And the world is, is yelling this at us, by the way. And our systems, our government, our markets run in ways off of this spirit of mammon. And so the first lie is that what you see is what you get. 
Mammon tells you that the only thing real is what you can see. The only thing that matters is what you can see. And he begins to to diminish our sight. He begins to, to diminish the fact that that as 2 Corinthians uh, 5.7 says, that we're actually to walk by faith and not by sight. But mammon works in a different way. It says that only the money that you have, whatever you can count, all of the things that, that you're doing, um, all of the problems, whatever's quantifiable, the things that you can see, that's the only thing that matters. But the kingdom of God debunks that. Because it says over and over again, you live differently. You live by faith, not by sight. So we're going to look at this story. Uh, it's a story in, in 2 Kings. And uh, it's with Elisha. And, and Elisha is, is, uh, is being attacked. There's a lot of people coming to get him. And, uh, and so that's, that's sort of the setup for this. And so you've you probably heard the story. And we'll start, we'll pick up at verse 15, chapter 6. It says that when the next... When the servant of of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that we may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and of chariots of fire around Elisha. See, Mammon says... It's only what you can count that matters. And so you have this picture of this servant. And the servant gets up and he begins to count. And he begins to count one, two, three, four, ten, twenty, thirty, hundreds of people coming against him. And one, two of us. Hundreds versus two. He sees it. Furthermore, he begins to count the swords, the weapons. They're outnumbered and they're outgunned. And he panics. And it's interesting, the verbiage used here by Elisha, Elisha prays that the Lord, what? Open his eyes. See, he's been seeing a reality that says that they're finished. He's been seeing a reality that says that they're defeated. And Elisha prays, would you open his eyes? Because we know that there is a higher reality that supersedes the visible And he opens his eyes to the invisible. And things begin to come into perspective. Mammon will will lie to you all the time. What is it that you see? And that's the only thing that is of value. The Lord works differently. It's interesting here. You know who was chasing Elisha? The Assyrians. You know what Elisha did? Later on in the story? He actually blinded them physically so they didn't know who he was. He sort of flipped mammon on its head. It's very, it's really interesting. Extremely, extremely prophetic. And so what we have is we have a picture of what life is like. We often find ourselves on a hill feeling as though we're outnumbered. The costs outweigh what we see. The, the outcomes outweigh what we can do. And Mammon is lying to you when he's saying that that's reality. It's time to live in reality. And we we have that attitude, right, when people are very faith-filled and we're having a bad day. 
we want them to come back to reality so we can actually have a real discussion. Have you ever had that? you ever known people like that? Maybe you're that person. That your, your head's seemingly in the clouds, but in reality, that's the life we're called to. We're called to be like Jesus and see water, but wine. To not see the ocean, but to see a sidewalk. To not see a storm, but to see peace we see from a higher perspective. Second lie that Mammon has for us. It says that you only have what you can measure, and you only value the measurable. So you see something, and whatever it is you see, you begin to measure it. And whatever you begin to measure, you begin to value And so Mammon tells you that if you cannot quantify it, if you can't measure it, if you can't count it, see it, stack it up, then it it has no value. And this is how people get devalued. This is how the environment gets devalued because our systems, our thinking, values what we can see and what we can measure. It keeps us very temporal. It's really, it's really fascinating. If you think about the economic system that Mammon works off of, if you think about how value is derived, value is derived from the scarcity of the resource. So the more scarce a resource, the higher the value Mammon says there is. You think about it. Why do we love diamonds? Because they're rare. And what Mammon says is that if there there is a scarcity, if there's low, then that means there's value. And so we esteem the lack. We lift up the resources. We put value on the things that are scarce. And so you're completely surrounded in this Mammon system by a system that is run off of lack. It's run off of the idea that all you have is what you can measure. And whatever you measure will decrease or potentially increase, but there's a finite limit to your resources, to the resources totally. And so we begin to ascribe value based on that. The kingdom of God is very different. Philippians uh, 4, 19. It says that, uh, and my God will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God, the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what God says about the idea of scarcity. He says there's not such a thing in his kingdom. In God's kingdom, there is no lack. So we have two systems. We have two systems that that say mammon is running off of one system, and then we have another system, let's call it manna. And one system is built off the measurable, the temporal, and one system is built off of God's provision. So we're going to look at Exodus uh, 16, verse 4. And, And this is, we've talked about Exodus. It keeps coming up over and over again, and it should keep coming up in your lives over and over again, because the story of the children of Israel being led out of captivity from Egypt into the, into the wilderness and then into the promised land is our story. That's what Hebrews calls it. 
It's a shadow of, of what we're going through. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to hit things in this story quite a bit because it is a picture of what we're going through. So we look at 16 verse 4. They've been let out of captivity, out of slavery, chattel slavery, where they've been beaten, abused. And they're in the wilderness, and they're looking around, and they begin measuring how much they have. What do you have? I've got one loaf of bread. What do you have? I've got half a thing of rice. We're done. And they begin counting up all of their resources, all of the food, all of the provisions, and they begin to trust in what they're measuring. And what they're measuring begins to control them, so much so that they wish that they could go back into slavery because at least they would eat. And so they're complaining to Moses. They're complaining to God, you just brought us here to die. And God takes this this opportunity to begin to teach them about how his kingdom works, about how he handles provision, about his ideas of measurement. So we'll pick up in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that when they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Because of the Sabbath, he wanted them to to take a rest and not gather. So he's providing double on the sixth. Skip down to uh, verse 15, the, the second part of it. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer, which was like a, a measuring device, for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it, get it? So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered Little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to one's own need. It's like Philippians is true, that he really will supply all of your needs. And this story of manna is a visual picture of how God works for us in our lives. That's how his economy runs. And so when we look at what is measurable, we need to understand that when we're measuring things, that's how it controls us. And our measuring needs to be run off of God not what we can see. Third lie that mammon has. It says that what we have then, we must hold. It says whatever it is you have, you have to hold it. Because remember, mammon runs off scarcity. It runs off the idea that there is not more coming. This is it. This is all there is. There's only so much gold on the planet. There's only so much income potential you have. There's only so much paychecks ahead. And so whatever it is you get, you better hang on to it because... There's nothing else. This is all there is. And as we believe that, and we do, it's easy to see how we can hold on to our money white knuckle. Because we deeply believe not only is it going to save us, it's going to protect us, and we don't know if there's any more coming. And so we begin to hoard. We begin to say that, that this is mine. And because the more scarcity mammon puts on a resource, the higher the value, then then what we do is we begin to collect the things that are the most scarce, and intrinsically then those things are very finite, and they're running out. And we're surrounded and consumed with this poverty mentality that there's never going to be enough. Now, if we take that and then we juxtapose it against God's kingdom, if we set the two against each other, we understand that God 
He values things not from a finite scarcity stance, but from an eternal stance. And the things in his kingdom that derive the most amount of value are the things that are eternal. Because God is seeing with eternal eyes and he's understanding that this stuff is so temporal. So the more finite and scarce a resource is, the less value it has in the kingdom. And the more eternal something is, the more value it has. And the only thing, by the way, that's going to be eternal is us, our souls. His economy is different. What he values is different than mammon. And so instead of then saying what we have, we have to hold, we have to say then actually what we, what we have, we, we give. We let go. We open our hands. Because as it says that, that if, if you give, and this is in, in Luke 6.38, it says give and what? It will be given to you. It's his system. It's his economy. His economy is give, not hold. And we give our lives to what? Find our lives. And so God is telling you that, that mammon says hold, God says give. We look at this other story. We, we talked about Elisha. This is Elijah. This is in 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a famine and, and the prophet is a little worried about starving. And so the Lord says, it says, then the, this is verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. By the way, just like God, to promise provision from a widow. Okay, that's, that's how he works. Elijah's worried about being taken care of. He says, don't worry, I've sent a, a poor widow. She's got you. All right. Verse 10, so he arose and he went, because he's a prophet. That's what they do. And when, they, and when he came to the great gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, she said look, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. So not only is she a poor widow, she's gathering her last meal. They're going to eat this little thing, shake hands, we're dying. That's it. It's a bad day. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. And bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her, he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. It's interesting to note the order of operations here. He said, first you bring me the cake. Then you make yourself some and watch what happens. So I would propose that, that the miracle wasn't initiate, initiated until she gave him first. There is a biblical 
principle that we talked about last week of giving God, in this case the man of God, his first. And this is what it's talking. Because the kingdom of God says give and it will be given to you. The giving initiates the miracle. It initiates the receiving. It's how it works. Fourth lie of mammon. This one's the most dangerous. It says what you have is yours. Whatever you have is yours. You've earned it. You've worked for it. It's yours. Whatever you've made, whatever you've earned, whatever life you've built, that's yours. And so, because it's yours, you then get to decide what you're going to do with it. You get to decide how you're going to spend it, what it means, all of these things. And you begin to take on this pressure, this burden that was never meant for you to bear. Because honestly, it's not yours. I don't care if you've earned it. I don't care if you've worked hard. I don't care if, if you struggled and you got yourself that degree that got you that job that now makes you that money. You haven't earned it. Because there's people on the far side of the world working in sweatshops that I promise you work harder than any of us have ever thought about working that don't have as much as you have. Why? Because it's not about earning. We understand that everything we have comes from God. Directly and indirectly. Being born in America is a gift that you get to take part of. And you begin to enter into that life that was given to you that you had nothing to do with. Your parents, you couldn't pick them. Your upbringing, your experiences. And so at the end of the day, nothing is because you made it happen. You earned it. It's not yours to begin with. And when we understand that, we begin to walk in a freedom that we've never known. Because if it's not yours to get, it's not yours to lose. Because it's from him. He's the provider. Look at James 1.17. It says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow turning. If it's not yours and if it's from him, then it takes the pressure off. And then it opens our minds and our hands to say, so now what do I do with it? He's given it to me And now we get to say, for what? For what purpose? And when you enter into that, then you begin to enter into the economy of God. When you understand you didn't earn it, it can go away in the blink of an eye. So then, what do you do? So how do we live now? If those lies are are true, that they're really lies, And if there's two kingdoms, then what do we need to do to begin to enter into God's economy? How do we do this? I'm really glad you asked that. So we can see there's a parallel verse to the verse that we began with in Matthew. And we go to Luke chapter 16, verse 9 through 13. 
Again, this is Jesus. Jesus is talking. When Jesus talks, we listen. And he says this. He says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What is he saying? Jesus is outlining how God's economy works. All right, so let's break it down. Verse 9. And I say to you, it's Jesus saying this, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. We just learned what unrighteous mammon is, right? Money. That when you fail, that you may receive you, that they may receive you into an everlasting home. So you're taking mammon's money and you're using it to make friends for yourself. That when you fail, now this word fail does not mean when you make a mistake, when you stumble. The word is to cease to exist, when you die. That when you die, they, the friends that you made with the unrighteous mammon, will receive you into an everlasting home. You take the unrighteous mammon, you bring it, you spend it, you invest it, in the most valuable resource in the kingdom of God, souls, you use your money to make friends, brothers and sisters, that are going to welcome you when you die into heaven. If you want to talk about investing on a return, this is an ROI that stretches through eternity. And what he's saying is, is that when you operate in my economy, when you begin to see the value that I place on things, juxtaposed to the value that mammon places on things, and you want to invest, you invest in what I deem valuable. And the most valuable thing he deems worthy of value is our hearts, our souls. Yours, mine, theirs. And so he says, if you want to participate in my economy, which, by the way, leads to life, and life abundantly, then you begin to invest in it. And you begin to secure souls that are going to be in heaven that say, I'm here because you gave. Maybe not directly. Maybe you funded a missionary with your unrighteous mammon. You used it. You invested. And you funded a missionary. He went somewhere. You didn't. Someone got saved. And in heaven, we're going to know all things, right? We're going to have a pretty big picture on how things worked. And we're going to hear the story of how we got there. And he's going to come to you and say, I, I'm here. Because you gave 20 bucks a month. You helped this, this missionary live. And this missionary met me in a coffee shop and led me to Jesus. Thank you. That's a good investment. And he's saying that, that then you begin to participate in his economy. So let's read, read the next one. Verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Now, the tendency as we're sitting here is to zone out because we don't have enough unrighteous mammon to make any of this make sense. 
if we have some unrighteous mammon, we'll go back and listen to the podcast. But right now, we don't have any money. We, we don't have a job. We barely have a job. Our expenses outweigh our income. Uh, whatever it is, we're, we're thinking this is not applicable. And what Jesus says is, is that that's not true. Although Mammon will tell you it is. Mammon says that, that if I get this, then I'll do this. We've all said that. Imagine how much good we could do if we had you know, a million dollars. Just imagine all the good stuff we'd do. I would propose that you'd be just as generous as you are now, and potentially less. And so Jesus says that whatever you're faithful in, in just the smallest amount, he begins to understand that he can trust you with more. And if you're unjust in the amount, then he sees, okay, I can't trust him with more. Because he's not going to spend it in my economy. He's not going to invest in my economy. So if you, if you find yourself of that mindset, unfortunately, I'm afraid that you're always going to find yourself in that mindset, according to what Jesus is saying. If your mindset is that I don't have enough to be a part of this, you probably will never have enough to be a part of it because it's a, mind, it's a mindset. Does that make sense? So we're going to skip down to verse 12. It says that if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Okay, a lot of applications. But we talked last week about the principle of the first, that the first belongs to God. The first is his. So is it possible that, that potentially what he's saying is that if you haven't been faithful with what I've given you, that's mine. Why would I trust you with your own? You see, if you want to understand how do we break the spirit of mammon, off of our money? How do we break the spirit of mammon off of our lives? We talked about it last week. The first fruits, the firstborn, the sacred, the sacred, sacramental, holy, set apart, other than portion, belongs to God. And when you use, right, he said you can either bring it or steal it. That's his words, not mine. When you bring him the 10%, first 10%, the clean redeems the unclean. And the 10% tithe redeems and makes righteous the 90. And when you begin to realize that in God's economy, 90% of righteous mammon goes a lot longer and a lot farther than 100, 200, 300%. Because he doesn't need the money. He can just make it happen. And so if you're not going to be able to steward what you have, what he's trusting you with, because it's about stewarding, it's about growing, we're not talking about salvation. That's not by works, but by faith. This is about, do you want to live and participate in an economy that leads you to life or leads you to death? It's up to you. So then we'll go to verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? 
And what, what are true riches? We've talked about it. It's souls. It's people. It's the only thing that matters. And we know this. We know this. We know this. We know this. How many, how many stories of, of people that get extremely wealthy extremely quickly, their lives begin to deteriorate, and we hear over and over and over again, they're on their deathbed, and what is the whole thing? It's not about the things that you have. It's about the relationships, the people. And even though we know that, Mammon tells us another lie, and he whispers, but you're different. Because if you could just get this, then you'll be happy, then you'll be safe, then you'll be secure. And what he's saying is that, is that if you can't handle money, something as trivial in God's eyes, as trivial and, and, as, and as finite and all of that, and get it, I get it, it's huge, it's a huge deal. But if he, he's saying on an eternal scale it's so small, and if you can't even handle that, why in the world would I trust you with true riches, with people? If you can't handle your finances, if you can't handle something like that, why should he trust you with anything else? Because that's the test, and he tells you to test him in that because he's testing you in it as well. And if we can grab a hold of these principles, if we can grab a hold of these ideas of these two economies that are at play here, if we can, if we can understand that there is absolutely a right way and a wrong way to use our money, we can begin to live the life that he's calling us to. A life of courage in the face of lack because we trust in a provider that cannot be measured. A life of, of adventure. A life of abundance. A life of joy, of peace, of love. It doesn't mean you're going to enjoy a wealthy life, though you may. But it means that you will have true riches. And so we're going to talk next week about what happens when, when you take your, your redeemed, your righteous mammon, and you begin to spend it and invest it in the kingdom and how that works. And what happens then after you break it off, the spirit of mammon, after you turn from him and you begin to step in line with God's economy, there's, there's a lot of scriptures and a lot of verses and a lot of real-life stories that I think are mind-blowing about how he works in regards to our finances that we're going to look at next week. See, there's a story of sheep and goats. And Jesus is talking to both, and he separates the two. And he says, he says okay, I, I didn't know you goats. And they say, why not? What do you mean? You know, we, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied. We did all the tricks. He said, I didn't know you. And a lot of times I believe that we can be uh, in our heads serving God and in our hearts we're serving mammon. And we're a house divided. And Jesus is telling us it's impossible. It's impossible to do both. And so what I'd like to do, we're going to sing another song. We're going to worship. And as we begin to worship the Lord, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And let us know Where's our hearts? Where are we trusting in? 
What are the things that we're looking into? What are the things that we're, that we're participating in? How are we spending our resources and time? Is it with mammon or is it with God? And as we begin to, to move forward this week, I think this is not just something that's going to come right now. I think it's a process. I think it's a, a growing. I think it's a, it's a moving into. And so as we do this, I would just ask, let's take a time to be reflective and just say, what are you saying right now? And allow the possibility to come into your head of saying, I could be doing this wrong. I want to live a life of abundance. Would you teach me? Would you show me those lies that I've believed? Would you show me those places in my heart that I don't trust you, that I trust mammon? And would you break it off? And so we've been praying all week that this spirit of mammon would be broken off of us in Jesus' name. And now he's exposed. And now you have a choice. And so as we begin to worship God with our song, let's begin to ask his spirit, are we worshiping him with our money? So Father, we just ask that you move. And Holy Spirit, you're here. Would you begin to speak to us? Now listen, the voice of the Lord is not condemning. The voice of the Lord is not mean. It's not harsh. It's a gentle voice. And so if you find yourself hearing those things that are condemning, that are causing you to feel as though you're insignificant, that's not the Lord. That's not his spirit. His spirit is kind. He's so kind. And he's a good father. And all he's saying is, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. For all upcoming events, for more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.